Howdy friends, this is Matt Sewell and you're listening to episode 60 of the Popecast, the only podcast about popes for people who love history and a good story, but have neither the time nor the interest to pick up dry, dusty history books. Our sponsors this week are the folks over at Catholic Balm Co., where you can find the most exquisite beard balms, oils, lotion bars, and more. So head over to catholicbalm.co to check out their great variety of products, especially if you're looking to support an awesome small business. And of course, be sure to enter the word Pope, P-O-P-E, at checkout to get 10% off your entire order. So once again, that's catholicbalm.co and the word Pope at checkout. Thanks again, as always, to Catholic Balm Co. for sponsoring the Popecast. Our Pope this week had the fun job of wrangling a bunch of alphas and convincing them to work as a team for the sake of Christendom, and in the meantime, tried not to lose everything the papacy had accumulated up to that point in history. Oh, and his nephew would later end up becoming one of the most powerful popes in history. This week on the Popecast, it's the Pope who called a crusade, Pope Clement III. Paolo Scolari was born in Rome around the year 1130. The details of his early life are lost to history, so our story today picks him up in the service of Pope Alexander III, among other things, the man who has the eighth longest papacy in history at 21 years, 11 months, and 24 days. Paolo, in order, served Alexander as the Archpriest of the Basilica of St. Mary Major in Rome, then as Cardinal Deacon of the Church of Saints Sergius and Bacchus, named for the early 4th century Roman soldiers who were martyred and buried in Syria, and then finally as Cardinal Bishop of Palestrina, a post to which he was named in 1180, seven years before his election to the papacy. Palestrina is located just east of Rome and was one of the more notable seats assigned to cardinals, particularly in the medieval and Renaissance church, sometimes for good reasons and sometimes not, but at any rate it was the home of more than one soon-to-be pontiff. In addition to the future Clement III, in later years, the men who would later become Nicholas IV, Julius III, and Leo XI all served as Bishop of Palestrina before later becoming Bishop of Rome themselves. At any rate, the year 1187 was one of the 13 instances in church history of a so-called Year of Three Popes, years in which the College of Cardinals is called upon to elect not one, but two pontiffs in a single calendar year. Now, the most recent of those, as some armchair papal historians may recall, was 1978, when Pope St. Paul VI died, the venerable Pope John Paul I died after just 33 days in office, and a second conclave convened to elect St. John Paul II on October 16th of that year. 1187 was the eighth such occurrence and the first in over 130 years. Pope Urban III had died on October 20th and was succeeded by Pope Gregory VIII who lasted not even two months before dying of a fever. And so, on the 19th of December, 1187, Paolo Scolari was elected as the 174th Bishop of Rome, taking the name of Clement III. Regarding his name, a random fun fact is that he was the first of four straight the thirds. The papal names of Celestine, Innocent, and Honorius came in order after Clement, all for the third time each. It isn't the longest stretch of common numbers, though. There were eight straight the seconds, starting with Urban II in 1088 and ending with Lucius II in 1144. But I digress. Back to Clement. His first order of business, especially considering it was his birthplace, was finding a reconciliation between the Pope and the Roman people. This present conflict had gone on for nearly half a century and was bad enough that the Pope couldn't even reside in his own city. The Catholic Encyclopedia notes that it was his, quote, well known mildness and love of peace. End quote, that was a big help, 
but giving them the ability to appoint their own civic officials while retaining the Pope's right to appoint Rome's governor certainly was a good olive branch as well. It took just over six months from when Clement was elected to when a treaty with the Romans was reached, during which time he was finally able to safely enter Rome and claim his throne in the Lateran Basilica. Clement's next task was organizing what became known as the Third Crusade, which had been called by his predecessor, Gregory VIII. A bit of background on what led to this particular crusade, and on the crusades in general. The great sultan, Saladin, had managed to conquer Jerusalem in the year 1187, after the Battle of Hattin, the same year of Clement's election. In fact, some say that Pope Urban III keeled over dead when he heard the news. It was the conquest of the Holy Land that spurred forth Gregory VIII's letter to the German bishops to encourage the nobility to gather forces, as well as letters from the East sent to Frederick Barbarossa, asking the same thing. A quick note on the Crusades in general. Given that they're widely misunderstood today, even amidst many Catholics and fellow Christians, a full treatment of the subject can be found in the great book The Glory of the Crusades by Steve Weidenkopf, which we'll link in the show notes. But in general, the Crusades were the exact opposite of what they're commonly thought to be, that being Christian aggression against peaceable and sophisticated Muslim culture. Not only were not all the Crusades launched against Muslims in the first place, but the early Crusades were in fact defensive campaigns against Islamic forces conquering and oppressing previously Christian lands. They were, as Weidenkopf notes, following the dictates of Augustine that, quote, violence could be undertaken for legitimate reasons, including past or present aggression, proclamation by a legitimate authority, and restoration of order and property. A review of the historical record proves the Crusades met this criteria, end quote. Not only that, and perhaps more importantly, the men who made up the crusading armies went as if it were a pilgrimage many times selling all they owned, and marching into almost certain death, and being bolstered by the church that to fight on the side of Christ meant one who died in battle for a just and virtuous cause, again that of liberating land from an aggressor and freeing the oppressed Christian residents of those lands, could count on eternal life in heaven. This was especially the case for the Third Crusade, where Pope Gregory VIII was convinced that the taking of Jerusalem was a punishment from God for the sins of the Christian people, And so what better way for a man to atone and do penance than to give up one's life and livelihood by attempting to retake the Holy Land on God's behalf? Now, Clement III's role in the Third Crusade was primarily that of just herding cats. He followed up on Gregory's plea to Barbarossa and also exhorted Henry II of England and Philip II of France to join them. Both eventually agreed to join, but it turned out that Henry's successor, Richard the Lionheart would prove to be the one to go on crusade and be the hero, as it turns out, given his predecessor's untimely death. Preparations for the crusade were set for April 1188 to April 1189, at which point the forces would disembark. Clement, for his part, wouldn't live to see the crusader victory and bittersweet completion of the treaty that guaranteed Christian toleration for three years in Jerusalem, nor the recapture of the key city of Acre. Amidst all that, Clement still accomplished a fair amount. He beefed up the depleted college of cardinals that he inherited from 20 cardinals to likely over 40 or 50. Clement ordered an annual round of new red hats in each full year he was pope, 1188, 89, and 90. Clement also helped the Scottish church and government settle who could appoint St. Andrew's Archbishop, while also making Scotland independent canonically from the Archdiocese of York. Outside of the crusade, Clement's most notable action was picking a convenient time to die. I kid, of course, but in a strange turn of events, Clement was faced with having the two biggest threats to the papacy's independence, Germany and Sicily, potentially consolidated into one kingdom. 
Here's what happened. Barbarossa, in between battles, had decided to go for a dip in a cold mountain river and drowned suddenly in the year 1190. That left his throne as Holy Roman Emperor vacant, and it looked as though that Henry VI, Barbarossa's son, was in line to take over. Interestingly enough, Henry's wife was a daughter of the Sicilian king, Roger II, and if crowned, would thus unite the two under one roof, so to speak. Clement, taking a gamble, instead sided with the Sicilians, helped by their suspicion of being ruled by a foreigner, and instead appointed Tancred, the illegitimate son of Roger II's oldest child, Roger III, the Duke of Apulia. Henry was, no doubt, pretty mad about it and set out for Rome to give the Pope an earful. Probably more. Only thing was, Clement died before Henry could get there. Pope Clement III went to his eternal reward on March 20th, 1191, at around the age of 61, and he's now entombed at the Basilica of St. John Lateran in Rome. As far as his legacy, there's one tidbit that stands out among the rest. His nephew would join him on the list of popes not seven years after his death, the renowned and arguably the most powerful pope in history, Pope Innocent III. One last thing here before we close it out. This is a quote actually from Pope Gregory VIII, the immediate predecessor of Clement III, but remember, he was only pope for a couple months, and though he called the Third Crusade, it was Clement who likely put these words into action and adopted them himself. So here's Gregory's writing in the papal bull Audita Tremendi, an excerpt of the letter calling for the Third Crusade. Quote, God does not lose his judgment in mercy, but exercises his protection for the punishment of sinners and for the surety of those to be saved. We, therefore, should heed and be concerned about the sins, not only of the inhabitants of that land, but also of our own and those of the whole Christian people, so that what is left of that land may not be lost and their power rage in other regions. For we hear from every direction of scandals and conflicts between kings and princes among cities, so that we lament with the prophet and are able to say, there is no truth, no knowledge of God in the land. Lying, murder, and adultery abound, and blood pursues blood, from Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. For this reason, everyone must understand and act accordingly, so that by atoning for our sins, we may be converted to the Lord by penance and works of piety, and we may first alter in our lives the evil that we do. Then we can deal with the savagery and malice of our enemies. End quote. Man, yet again, how timeless of advice is that? Well, that's a wrap on this bio of Pope Clement III. If you're enjoying the podcast and haven't already, please be sure to leave us a rating and a review over at iTunes. It helps to make sure more folks can find and listen to the show. And a special thanks again to our newest patrons. If you're a podcast super fan and would like to support our work here, please check out uh, patreon.com slash thepopecast. That's patreon.com slash thepopecast to pick the amount you'd like to contribute per episode. And then there's some snazzy perks waiting for you, depending on your tier. There's early access for everybody uh, asking questions on future shows, even a custom podcast mug and t-shirt for some tiers. So check it out now at patreon.com slash thepopecast. And lastly, thanks as always to our listeners, new and old, especially those who have found us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. You can always catch us there in between new episodes at the Popecast for lots of other great stuff. So as we head out today, let's remember those words that Clement III undoubtedly echoed from his predecessor that we though we're not crusading, might recognize and atone for our own sins and do penance that those around us might be made better because of it. Until next time.